0: Well, one of the interesting things I find about the world that you and I live in has to do with all of the the marketing and advertising by companies these days. Companies pay individuals big money to come up with logos and symbols and images. Logos and symbols and images that try and define their company and, and make it compelling. So you and I are constantly bombarded by images with the company's hope to indelibly fixate them in our minds, with the hope that yes, that not only will we think of the company when we see such a logo or a symbol, but their hope that they will entice us to actually buy whatever it is that they are selling. For example, what company does this make you think of? Nike. Yeah, Nike. It's a, it's a sign of a victory. It's a sign of a winner. In fact, the word Nike actually comes from a word in Jesus' day, a Greek word, Nike, which meant... Victory or, or to win. And we associate that with, with winners. What, what athlete do you think of when you associate that symbol with? What athlete is? Comes to mind. Michael Jordan, Air Jordan. Yeah, there we go. See. Any of you wearing Air Jordans this morning? No. Who else? Anybody else? Tyre Woods. Raphael Nadell for you tennis lovers out there. Yes. Here's another one. What company does this make you think of? <laughs> Sorry, now my mind's distracted by Dan. I I'm thinking. Burger King, I gotta get the logo, you know, I gotta get their their taglines right. That's Burger King, that's have it your way, right? That, <laughs> McDonald's, yes. You deserve a break today. Did you know that? That's, that's the sign of abundance. That's the sign of abundance. McDonald's, the home of the happy meal. The meal of great joy. You know when little kids see this logo, their hearts start to beat a little bit fast. If I could just have one of those happy meals, I will be so happy, they say right? You can get it fast. You can get it cheap. Well, maybe not so much anymore. I don't know. You can get it through a drive-through so that you and your whole family can drive through with a van and get a whole meal the way God intended your families to eat, right? Right? Isn't that true? In fact, you know, if you have little kids, you you could probably even... If they're hungry, you could probably even go out to the van right now and get a whole meal for them, right, just rummaging through the van. Old, cold French fries stuck in between the seats, right? It's a sign of abundance. How about this one? If you were here last week, you ought to know what this one is, right? Or if you were online, or if you were here... Or maybe if you don't remember, this is, yeah, this is the logo. Next slide. This is the logo of the Free Methodist Church, the denomination that we at Arlington Woods are associated with. If somebody asks you, say, what do Free Methodists believe about fill in the blank? Did you know that you could go to the Arlington Woods website and with a little bit of navigation, you could come across statements of faith that are summary statements about what we believe the Bible says about God, about Jesus, about the church, about marriage, about the end times, a number of things. A number of things that it would speak about. And the logo points to some of those things. Some of those things which we are fleshing out in this series that we are calling Defining Our Faith. What is at the center of our logo? What is it? The cross, yes. And last week, Pastor Mike, if you were here or you were online, Pastor Mike fleshed out for us the significance and the meaning of the cross. How it is that it really is, it's the crux of our faith. It all starts there. Think about this. An instrument of death is at the center of our corporate logo. This is not the sign of a winner. This is not the sign of abundance. This is a sign of death. It's a sign of ultimate loss. And last week, Pastor Mike helped us to understand its significance and meaning and why it stands at the center of our Christian faith. This morning, I want to speak to two other symbols that are in our corporate logo, and one of them here is represented, it's by the, the red square, scripture or, or the Bible. Red because it signifies or is representative of, of the Word, the Word that's been made flesh, right? The Word who is Jesus, who has become flesh. And then I'm going to briefly say something a little bit about tradition and its significance and what it's represented by the hourglass there. The other two symbols, the diamond and the and the, the circle, Pastor Mike is going to speak to in a couple of weeks. So if you were here last week or if you remember what it is that those I'm going to leave you in suspense about what those two things are. Okay. But what I will say, however, is that next to the cross. The red square, represented by Scripture and the Bible. Next to the cross, Scripture is. It is the cornerstone of our faith. It's the cornerstone of our faith. The other three symbols, when considered together with Scripture, they help us shape our understanding of our faith. But they are not given equal weighting to that of Scripture. Scripture stands at the forefront of all four of those symbols. So let me just share with you a few parts of our statement of faith on the authority of the Bible. And you can, as I say, you can come across this in the Arlington Woods website, and there's a lot more than I'm going to flesh out here this morning. But this is the beginnings of our statement, and you can read the rest on the website. This is how it begins says this, the Bible is God's written word, uniquely inspired by the Holy Spirit. It bears unerring witness to Jesus Christ, the living word. The Bible has authority over all human life. So it says it bears unerring witness to Jesus Christ, meaning that it speaks, it speaks to what is true and accurate about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's about, that he is the the central person that this book points to, the central person that this book points to, and that has authority for all of human life. And in light of that, you may have heard the phrase, you know what? You may have heard this phrase, we are people of the book. Have you heard that? And in one sense, it's true. This is the book. But it might be more or better to say that we are people of a person. Because we are a people that this book points to, right? And that person is Jesus. This is who this book points to, the person of Jesus. This is how we learn about him and what we find out to be what is true about him. The opening line of that statement says that the Bible is uniquely inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is taken directly from Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, which says this. It says all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that every one who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. That's the New Revised Standard Version. The NIV, or the New International Version, puts it a little bit differently. It says this, the NIV, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is inspired by God, or is God-breathed? Somebody may challenge you at some point and say, you mean to say that I am to take just at face value? Just to take at face value that what this book is saying or it came to us through human authors as God moved them illuminated through the power of the Holy Spirit but as pastor Greg Boyd reasoned with his father whom I talked about last time the strongest reason for me believing that this is God's word the strongest reason for me believing is a result of my already believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus being Lord is reasonably evident through eyewitness accounts as recorded in the gospel accounts where people had given witness to or had seen him do things like healing people. A paralytic who is desperate to come through a thatched roof. Luke Five eighteen, a man born blind who can now see. John nine six, a brother of Mary and Martha, who was raised to life after being dead in a tomb for four days. Luke eleven eighteen, and then of course there was also Jesus himself, who was resurrected. After which. He had appeared to hundreds of people who had testified to it. And on top of that, Jesus himself, during his earthly ministry, believed that the Old Testament was God's Word. His conviction runs throughout his teachings in the New Testament. So, how can I call Jesus Lord? How can I call him Lord? and at the same time refute parts or any part of the Bible that he himself holds as God's Word. I may not fully understand everything that is contained within these pages. I may wrestle with some things that are actually contained within, but I cannot, I cannot elevate my reasoning above the authority of Jesus in which he holds that as God's Word. I just can't. So the Free Methodist Church affirms that the bible is uniquely inspired by the holy spirit and has authority for all of human life. Listen to these words from Joshua 1:8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. I go wow. Jesus did. Remember when he was tempted by the devil? in the desert, to turn those stones into bread, what did he do? He quoted. He quoted Scripture. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Sounds to me like you and I are to saturate ourselves in it. (laughs) Then you will be prosperous and successful. Hello. The Lord promises. He promises that if we follow his will and guidance in this book, he says, You and I, we will discover, we will discover much success in life and ministry. Psalm nineteen, verses seven to eleven says this the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing your soul. Is your soul downcast? Then get your nose in the book. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You need wisdom? Get your eyes reading the book. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It's life-giving. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and they are, all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, Your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Wow. There there are similar passages we could point to. These two happen to come from the Old Testament, and I have purposely chosen two from the Old Testament. Because when it comes to the Old Testament, well, let me say this. Let me, first of all, say what the free Methodist statement is on the authority of the Old Testament. It says this, the Old Testament is not contrary to the New. Both testaments bear witness to God's salvation in Christ. Both speak of God's will for his people. The ancient laws for ceremonies and rites and the civil precepts for the nation of Israel are not necessarily binding on Christians today, but on the example of Jesus Christ, we are obligated to obey the moral commandments of the Old Testament. Did you know that there is a trend in North America today? To push aside the Old Testament. There is a, there is a well-known pastor in the United States. If I were to mention his name to you, you would know who he is. I'm not going to say it. Nothing's gained by it. But he said this. Would you consider unhitching your teaching of what it means to follow Jesus from all things Old Covenant? Old Testament? When it comes to stumbling blocks to faith, the Old Testament is right up there at the top of the list. He calls the Old Testament a stumbling block the Old Testament is not a stumbling block. It's Christians who don't know the Old Testament who are the stumbling block. And there are many within the Western Church who don't understand the Old Testament. They don't know it. But as we highlighted earlier from Second Timothy 3.16, All what? Now, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for training up in righteousness, for every good work. The Old Testament is part of God's unfolding revelation of Jesus. Remember, the Scripture for Jesus was what? Hello? Hello? The scripture for Jesus was what? The Old Testament. The scripture for the apostles and the church was what? The Old Testament. For the most part, it was the Old Testament. Yes, not, not the New. And there are many teachings that are only addressed in the Old Testament. You want to know what the Bible has to say about abortion? Go to the Old Testament. You want to know what? Scripture says about disrespecting the elderly, defrauding workers of their wages, mistreating disadvantaged people. Go to the Old Testament. You want an explanation for why we are here, creation? Go to the Old Testament. You want to know what's wrong with the world? Go to the Old Testament. You want to know God's plan and his plan for it? Go to the Old Testament. You want to know what he's doing about evil? Go to the Old Testament. You want to know how God deals with fallen or blesses and pursues fallen and broken people? Go to the Old Testament. All which is to say that the church... The church has to come up to speed and know the Bible from cover to cover, Old Testament and New New Testament, to know the beliefs and the right way of thinking. All of it, for all of it, has authority over human life. I'm just going to say just a, a few words about tradition and its role with, with who we are as people of faith in the Free Methodist Church. And it is represented here on our, on our logo by the hourglass, okay? Symbolizing the passage of time. Because over time, we have a rich, rich, rich history. We do. We have a rich history of belief and practice that has been passed down over centuries in the Free Methodist Church, beginning with a man named john wesley and the christian movement itself even going back to the early church so in other words you and i we have been influenced we have been influenced and shaped by others that's who tradition ultimately points to those who have gone before us and their understanding of scripture And I'm reminded of this by something I want to show you. Take a look at this picture. I drive by this almost every day. On the corner of Innis Road and Navin Road, it's a little church near the corner. What do you notice about this picture? Can you see? What do you see? Yeah, I'm hearing it. Yeah, there's a cemetery. If if I could plan any church property, it would include a cemetery. Because it's a visual reminder to me of those who have passed on the glory and are a cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews chapter 12 talks about those who have gone before us and their understanding of Scripture and their trust in the person of Jesus Christ. So you and I, we are connected, we are influenced and connected to people of our past. Let me wrap up by trying to to tie this all together for us. Scripture and tradition and for you and I for living this out in our, in our lives. Because we can have all of this influence, you and I. We can have all of this influence in our heads. But how do we, how do we move God's word from our head to our heart? How do, how do we drop it down? How do we drop it down about 18 inches? to where our emotions are and where our, our will lie. Because when life is moving from one day to the next, like this, I, ca- I can believe in my head facts about God. I can believe in my head that God is good. But how do I live that out in my heart? if I am, if I might be overwhelmed, if I'm going through a tough time, I can believe in my head that God is my protector, but I can still be afraid. I can believe in my head that God is my provider, but I can still be incredibly anxious. And in those moments of fear or anxiety, God doesn't remind us about how great we are. He can, re- he can remind us about how great He is. Of His promises. Of Him being with us. That He will answer us in our, in our call, in our time of need. That He will guide us and direct us if we stop and ask Him and we stop and we listen for His still small whisper. The problem is is that all too often you and I, you know what? All too often you and I are directed or we let our emotions guide us or direct us in making decisions. You've heard somebody say, "Ah, just follow your heart." Heard anybody ever say that to you? Just 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 follow your heart, right? That's not good counsel. Making choices based upon what feels good or right is not good advice. That has often led me into trouble. Dallas Willard once said this. He said, feelings can be good servants. They they can serve you well. But they are disastrous masters. Mm Mm-hmm emotion without truth is dangerous it can lead to regrettable consequences you and I we are not to be guided by our emotions we are to be guided by our mind Romans 12 two says this be transformed by the renewing of your mind then then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our mind is to be subject to and guided by the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, so that once our mind has made the proper determination of what to do about doing something, then emotion can be helpful in motivating us to do the right thing. So, for example, the Good Samaritan who helped the man at the side of the road, he felt compassion and then he did something. But he was guided by the mind, motivated by emotion, and then moved into action. All of which is aided by our responsibility to ensure that our emotions are righteous and healthy. Meaning that Our emotions have to be subject to God's Word and the Holy Spirit in our mind. And the only way that I know for us to be able to take God's Word and move it from our head to our heart is by a discipline of meditating on God's Word, ruminating on God's laws, reflecting on God's truth, Rehearsing God's works and deeds. Hiding God's word in our heart. You and I, we are basically to eat this book. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for <clears throat> thank you for your word Jesus, whom you had come to this very world to be your ultimate revelation about who you are and what you're like. Thank you that it was through him and his love, and as we talked about last week, the cross that is really the crux of our faith. But Lord, we also want to thank you for your written word. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It's where we can learn about your precepts and statutes and laws and principles and precepts, as we've talked about already from Psalm 19. So Lord, I pray for each one of us. I pray that well, wow, I know, it's sometimes it's just difficult in the kind of rat race of life. But Lord, there's nothing, as you know, that can be more worthy and valuable <clears throat> than us spending time and reflecting upon your word, where your Holy Spirit is teaching us in and through your word, your written word, where we take the time not just to read it and then close the book, but we take the time to listen for how your spirit is speaking to our spirit, ruminating on it, reflecting on it, chewing on it, rehashing it, so that you can take that word and embed it into the very being and depths of our hearts. Because it's your goal, not for us just to be knowledgeable about you, but for us to actually be living beings that breathe Jesus in our everyday life. So we thank you. We thank you for your word. Help us to... Be disciplined and habitual in eating your book. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.